I want to say one word about Dr. Harding. Uh, Fred, you heard Fred, and tomorrow is his memorial. Uh, he was a great medical evangelist. And uh, it's a, it means that others are going to have to take from his broad shoulders um, the work forward that he was um, so dedicated to and so gifted at. And I can't not say something about Dr. Harding since he was such an influence on me as a medical student and uh, his family. And, and Fred, your father, will be missed. And uh, it's a privilege to know him. Others that have fallen recently, Dane Griffin, whose wife Vicki is here. Uh, there's many opportunities for service in medical evangelism. And new spaces are opening up. And uh, we have noble people that have gone before. We're thankful for this. Did you ever wonder what happened to people after Jesus healed them? Perhaps they were healed of an incurable disease. Maybe they were raised from the edge of the grave. What happened to the person who was hopeless and helpless? In Jesus, by a touch, a word, a prayer, raised them up. You would think they would always be faithful to Jesus. You would think that gratitude alone would keep them faithful. In medicine, one of the most important aspects is follow-up. In, in research. What was the follow-up on these healed people? Did they continue on as disciples of Jesus? Did they continue in faithfulness and receiving the blessings of eternal life? Did any join in the call for Jesus' death? Where were they when the mob shouted, crucify him? Most of the people Jesus healed are lost to follow-up. But for some, we do have follow-up. In the days of Christ, leprosy was an incurable and fatal disease. Although leprosy became increasingly less common, it becomes increasingly less common as you go in the northern latitudes, worldwide it is still not a rare disease. Dr. Foster, a friend of mine, diagnosed two in Seattle, and he was an orthopedist. I believe I've seen it while I practiced rehab medicine one time. Dr. Chung has seen it one time. I've not seen it that I know of as a dermatologist. During the 20th century, in the United States, if you got leprosy, for most of the 20th century, you would go to Carville to a leprosarium. It was closed down a few years ago. Today, in this country, you get a multi-drug treatment to cure the disease. But what did it mean to have leprosy in Bible times? It meant you would lose your job. Even if you were a king, you were banished from family and home. You could never hug your child or your grandchildren. You were isolated in remote areas with other lepers. And for public safety, you had to shout wherever people came, unclean, unclean. When Jesus healed a leper, he restored a life. A family could welcome a leper back. He could return to his job. We have three case histories of people that Jesus healed of leprosy and their follow-up. 
Although Luke tells us that Jesus healed many lepers, the Bible leaves these representative samples for us. Um, there were others. The first account we'll look at this evening is found in Luke 5, verse 12. But before we open the scriptures, let's close our eyes in prayer. Father in heaven, we need your Holy Spirit to speak to our minds that your word may have the power it was designed to have. Changing us as your word changed lepers in ancient days. We're thankful that your presence is promised. And we pray that the Holy Spirit may be poured out in power tonight. In Christ's name we pray, amen. amen. Although the story is found in the first chapter of Mark, it occurs in the second year of Jesus' ministry. The story is also given in Matthew, but we are going to be focused on Dr. Luke's account he gives more medical details than the other writers. And it happened when he was in a certain city that behold a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus and he fell on his face and he implored him saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Here's a man that Dr. Luke says was full of leprosy. Desire of Ages describes it this way. He is a loathsome spectacle. The disease is made frightful in roads and his decaying body is horrible to look upon. Leprosy presents as a continuum between two distinct forms of leprosy. There's a mild form, the tuberculoid, or the uh, more official but less widely used nomenclature, posse bacillary. The body defends itself vigorously from the leprosy microbacterium. The immune system limits the spread of the disease. In the second form, however, lepromatous or multibacillary, the body is unable to mount an effective defense against the germs. And they multiply and spread through the skin and the nerves. As it advances, you become full of leprosy. The skin becomes more unsightly. And there are often many deformities. And this man was full of leprosy. He had the severe lepromatous form. Mark wasn't a physician. Matthew wasn't a physician. So they just said he had leprosy. But the clinician, Dr. Luke, describes the patient with medical detail. It was far advanced. It was hopeless. Verse 13 gives us Jesus' response. He put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be thou cleansed, immediately the leprosy left him. Verse 14 gives Christ, shall we see, say, post-op instructions. These instructions were simple and plain. First, the healed leper was to tell no one. Second, he was to go to the priest, and lastly, he was to follow uh, God's instruction through Moses exactly on leprosy cleansing. Leviticus 14 was the chapter in the Bible that was designed for the time of Christ. No other time, really, was it utilized. It gives instruction for the temple offering and service in the case of a healed leper. Did the man follow Christ's post-healing care plan? Well, partially. He first went to the priest to confirm the cure. Mark tells the rest of the story, and it begins with the word, however. 
However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter. Now, I've heard people speculate that Jesus was using reverse psychology, but Jesus doesn't tell us what he doesn't mean. He means what he says, he says what he means. And what was the result of this man's disregarding Christ's post-care instruction? The ministry of Jesus was cut short. He could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places, Mark tells us. Here was a man that was healed by Jesus of his leprosy. He disregarded Christ's instructions because he thought he had a better way to advance God's work. And though he was well-meaning and actually thought he was marketing Christ's medical evangelism, he cut short the ministry of Jesus. Notice this insight from Desire of Ages as to why he disregarded Christ's clear post-healing instruction. Conceiving that it was only the modesty of Jesus, I'm reading here, I didn't put it on this screen. Conceiving that it was only the modesty of Jesus which laid this restriction upon him, he went about proclaiming the power of this great healer. The restored man felt the boon of health was very precious. He rejoiced in the vigor of manhood and in the, his restoration to his family and society and felt, it was, and felt it impossible to refrain from giving glory to the physician who had made him whole. Then I put in the next sentence, I want you to notice this. But his act in blazing abroad the matter resulted in what? Hindering the Savior's work. It caused the people to flock to Jesus in such multitudes that he was forced for a time to cease his labors. Isn't that something? Christ's ministry was hindered by the very man he healed. Jesus' ministry would have been better off if this leper hadn't been healed. Desire of Ages tells us Jesus was not satisfied to attract attention to himself merely as a healer of physical disease. He was seeking to draw men to him as their savior. He desired to turn their minds away from the earthly to the spiritual. Mere worldly success would interfere with his work. Interesting quote, isn't it? Like the leper, do we have ideas that we think would advance God's cause, but really would hinder and cut short Christ's ministry in our office, in our practices? Medical evangelists today face the same temptation as the healed leper, not following every detail of Christ's instructions. Thinking we can bring greater success to God's cause, by disregarding some of God's methods. It's easy to fall into the trap of thinking more worldly success will somehow advance gospel success. There's an interesting letter to physicians in volume eight of the testimonies that I was listening to. I love Remnant Publishing has just put out a wonderful reading through of the testimonies. If you don't have it, get it for your MP3 players. It's, it's life-changing. And I was listening to this. There are those entering the medical missionary work who are in danger of bringing into it the objectionable sentiments received in their former education, like this leper did. They need to practice the principles laid down in the Word of God, else the work will be marred by their, what's the next word? Preconceived ideas. 
When we work with all the sanctified ability that God has given us, when we put aside our will for the will of God, when self is crucified day by day, then good results are seen. We move forward in faith knowing that our Lord has promised to undertake the work entrusted to him and he will accomplish it for he never makes a mistake or a failure. When by faith men place themselves in the Lord's hands saying, here am I, send me, he accepts them for service. But men must not hinder his plans by ambitious devisings. For years the Lord has had a controversy with his people because they have followed their own judgment and have not relied on divine wisdom. Let the workers take heed, lest they get in the Lord's way, notice this next word again, hindering the advancement of his work, thinking that their wisdom is sufficient for the successful planning and carrying forward of the work. Am I following my own ideas to advance God's medical missionary cause and really hindering it? Point number one in follow-up. Our ideas of what will advance God's medical missionary cause may hinder medical evangelism. We must seek to know God's instruction and strictly follow it. But let's look at the next case report follow-up. Luke 17, 12. Then he entered a certain village. There met him ten men who were lepers who stood far off. They had to stand far off from Jesus because of the public health rules of the day. They lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. As an aside, the cry of these lepers for mercy, remember that cry of mercy for our next case report. But when Jesus saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. They weren't cleansed when they left Jesus. There was a test of their faith, but they obeyed and they went to the priest. And so it was, that as they went, they were cleansed. As they followed Christ's instruction, they were healed. The leprosy was gone. The hypopigmented plaques faded away. The formerly hypertrophic nerves shrunk to their normal size. The system's immune system was restored. The microbacterium was cleansed from the system. The lepers were no longer unclean. They were no longer lepers. They were no longer contagious. Their disease was now only a memory for them and for their friends and their families. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned, verse 15 says, and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Nine Jewish lepers cleansed, and not one, not one glorified God by giving thanks. They went on their way without a further thought of Jesus. They were too busy getting on with their life to take time to come back and thank Jesus. Have we received blessings from God? Are we filled with gratitude? Are we too busy to express our thanks? Notice verse 18 again. Were there not any found who returned to, notice that next phrase, give glory to God. What does that expression make you think of as a Seventh-day Adventist? First angel's message, direct quote. 
we have a message to call people back to give glory to God. That's the first angel's message. This story teaches us that gratitude is an important part of giving glory to God. Then, of all people on this earth, Seventh-day Adventists should be grateful. Of all people, we are called to give glory to God for His wonderful mercy to us, yet we are told in volume 3, 180, I was shown that the nine who did not return to give glory to God correctly represent some Sabbath keepers who come as patients. Don't be either surprised, disappointed, or discouraged in your medical missionary work that sometimes it will be more appreciated by non-believers than by believers. That is how it's always been for Jesus. Those he does the most for, for are sometimes the, more, the most ungrateful. Just as Paul said, the more I give, the less I'm loved. They take his blessings for granted. I was just talking to a pastor who had a chip medical evangelism in his church. And the community people were so excited and grateful and his own members were grumbling and complaining. They had to make these sacrifices of their diet to save their lives. Point two in post-restoration follow-up, don't be discouraged when you discover that sometimes your medical care is far more appreciated by those not of our faith. That's what happened to Jesus. Speaking of the lepers who had called on Jesus for mercy but then were unthankful, we are told, this is volume three still, thus will physicians have their efforts treated. But if in their labor to help suffering humanity, one out of 20 makes a right use of the benefits received and appreciates their efforts in his behalf, the physicians should feel grateful and satisfied. Let us then show gratitude to God for allowing us to be medical evangelists and even giving us an occasional patient who will appreciate our efforts. Allowing us to enter into that same experience of our Lord Jesus. It continues, if the King of glory, the majesty of heaven, worked for suffering humanity and so few appreciated his divine aid, the physician should blush to complain if they notice our efforts feeble efforts are not appreciated by all and seem to be thrown away by some. These are the two follow-ups that we have on the two stories of lepers being cleansed. The first one cut short the ministry of Jesus and the second shows few are grateful. There's another story of a healed leper in the New Testament. Both Matthew and Mark refer to Simon as the leper. We don't have an account of the healing. We just have the fact that Jesus had healed him. We don't know, was he one of the nine that hadn't come back to be thankful? Though he had been healed, his former disease set him apart for life. Matthew and Mark, the leper. Um, this identifier would never change in most minds. But he had another identifying characteristic. He was a Pharisee. And we all know about the Pharisees, that strict sect of the Jews. Simon's life was occupied with many detailed rules and a human effort to keep from committing sin. Simon lived in Bethany, a suburb of Jerusalem. 
Luke begins this case report with a meal. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. Now, we need to really understand what it means that a Pharisee asked Jesus to eat with him. Luke doesn't give the context, but we glean it from John's account. John tells us that this meal occurred on the last Sabbath of Jesus' life, six days before his seizure and crucifixion. At this time, the Pharisees were in absolute hatred of Jesus. They were determined to kill him. Notice the verse just before John 12, 1, John eleven fifty seven. Now, both the chief priest and the Pharisees had given the command that if anyone knew where he was, he was, he should report it that they might seize him. It was in that context that Simon, the healed leper, the Pharisee, invited Jesus to eat with him. They were not only trying to kill Jesus and seize him, but they were also trying to stop any growth of Christians and to isolate and persecute Christ's followers. Notice John 12, 42. Um, the store we're studying is sandwiched between these two verses, John eleven fifty seven and John 12, 42. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. Why? Lest they be put out of the synagogue. If you were a follower of Jesus, you were ostracized. You were shut away from the benefits of worship. You were considered a traitor against Israel, an enemy of the Jews. And this man, Simon, a Pharisee, only two miles from Jerusalem, had invited Jesus to his house. It was a brave thing to do. He was inviting scorn and persecution. Perhaps Simon justified it by inviting Lazarus at the same time as a Pharisee and a believer in the resurrection. He could defend his action by showing he was simply highlighting the Pharisee's belief in the resurrection. Simon was sympathetic to Jesus because he had been healed of leprosy. That's the context for the story of Luke 7. Let's go back to it. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flax, a flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet, behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet, and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Generally, we look at Mary in this story, but in our study today, we'll instead focus on Simon. Dr. Luke doesn't even mention the name of Mary in his account. This action of Mary was very embarrassing to Simon because one of the charges against Jesus was that he consorted with this type of person. And here in the presence of everybody, you could see the charge was true. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. The phrase, he spoke to himself, is interesting. Did you ever speak to yourself? You talk to yourself all the time. 
you are talking to yourself right now. When we're in a group, we're continuously evaluating what we're hearing, what's being said or done. We're either agreeing or disagreeing or tuning out, thinking about something else. We say things to ourselves that we wouldn't dare say out loud. Growing up, I put together a kit called the Visible Man. Some of you may remember that, it had a little transparent skin. It made the skin see-through um, to see the inner organs visible. Now, as a dermatologist, I see that that was the wrong emphasis. <laughs> but the Bible is really the true visible man because it makes the thoughts and intents of the heart visible. Simon the Pharisee was talking to himself. How did Simon begin his conversation with himself? How did he address Jesus in his mind? This man, this man. We find what he really thought of Jesus. We notice that there was a certain contempt. There was a certain distance in the expression, this man. To his face, he called Jesus rabbi. But in his mind, he said, this man. How discouraging it could have been for Jesus. Jesus had healed Simon of his leprosy, but the best that Simon can manage to think about Jesus is this man. In Simon, we see the thought processes of a judgmental person. Simon the Pharisee was very practiced in judging others. We see how he judged Mary. She was a sinner. Now we see how he judges Jesus. And those who judge others will judge Jesus. He thought a true prophet was someone who went around condemning and exposing someone else's sins. A prophet was a person who would not allow sinners to come close to him. A prophet would drive the sinner away. And so Simon's judgment of Jesus was that Jesus could not be a prophet because he didn't drive this prostitute away. Some thanks Jesus got for healing lepers. Simon the healed leper concludes that Jesus isn't even a prophet. From a human standpoint, it seems discouraging when we look at the follow-up of Jesus' miracles. Of the lepers who were, were healed, the first one did what? Shortened the ministry. The second has nine leprous Jews without any gratitude. And the third Jewish leper does not even believe his benefactor is a prophet. If Jesus was healing from something other than love and compassion, he would have quit. If I were Jesus, I wouldn't have wasted any time on lepers. Oh, the grace of Jesus. Why does he give his gifts to any one of us? This brings us to the third point in a leprosy follow-up. Each of these lepers had a spiritual disease worse than their physical disease of leprosy. Healing the body alone wasn't enough. Something further was needed. The lepers needed more than cleansing of the sin of the skin, they needed cleansing of the sin. The first leper 
He needs a follow-up cleansing that makes him obedient to every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The nine Jewish lepers need a cleansing from ingratitude. And Simon the healed leper needs to become Simon the healed Pharisee. Pride of Phariseeism. Medical Ministry 31. Every medical practitioner, whether he acknowledges it or not, is responsible for the souls as well as the bodies of his patients. Healing the physical is not enough. The theme of our conference is Christ. Patient, restore. He restores patience, but he is a patient restorer. And part of Christ's restoration is restoring our souls, as David sang, he restoreth my soul. We have watched Jesus as he heals the body of the lepers. But now we can observe him as he heals the soul of a Pharisee. As Simon watches the way Jesus behaves toward Mary, he concludes Jesus is not even a prophet. People are offended at the nice way Jesus treats others. They want him to denounce other sins. But Jesus was a physician. And physicians don't drive sick people out of their office. They invite sick people to come to their office so they can be treated. And Jesus invites the sick to come close to him that they can be healed. When Simon began to talk to himself, his mental supreme court was in session. But when we speak to ourselves, we have more than ourselves listening. God listens into our conversations. And he did with Simon, the Pharisee. Sometimes he'll enter into our conversation. And that happened here. Notice he said, Jesus answered this unspoken question and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Then he stops. He's a consummate gentleman. He isn't in your face. He doesn't push down Simon's ears what Simon doesn't want to hear. He pauses to see if Simon wants what he has to say. Simon could have said, I don't want to hear anymore. But Simon's interest was aroused. Teacher, he said, say it. So with Simon's permission, Jesus told him a story. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. 500 denarii was about two years of wages. 50 was about three months. Adding the Roman tax system, 50 denarii would be hard to repay. 500 denarii would be nearly impossible. Simon was listening closely. Perhaps he had gone into debt trying to treat his leprosy. Perhaps he had gone into debt because he couldn't work while he had leprosy. I don't know, but Jesus always selects a story that is going to appeal to the person he's talking to. Somehow, Simon must have understood something about debt, and so Jesus talked to him about it. When they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? It's a story problem. 
Since Simon was not sure where this story was going, notice his cautious reply. I suppose the one whom he forgave more. Suppose nothing. <laughs> Seeing Simon's hesitancy, Jesus does something so important in teaching. He says, right. Simon, right on. We all like to be told we're right. There are times when I've had teachers who seem to love questions we couldn't help but miss. Not Jesus. He liked to ask questions that people couldn't miss. But notice Jesus' commendation of Simon's reply is not simply that Simon had answered right. Jesus said that Simon had judged rightly or righteously. This unrighteous judge had judged righteously here. And having heard that pleasant present truth, Dr. Nedley, Jesus, the medical evangelist, next gave him testing truths. Those of you who were here last night know that, what I'm talking about. Turning to Mary, but speaking to Simon, Jesus contrasts the two. When I came into your house, you gave me no water for my feet. Simon had neglected to manifest the minimum hospitality for a Middle Eastern guest. Undoubtedly, he had been influenced by the Pharisees' hatred of Jesus, and he tried to keep uh, arm's distance so he wouldn't get into too much trouble. But Simon's neglect had been supplied by Mary. This woman has washed my feet with her tears and has wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss. Simon had neglected the customary Middle Eastern greeting, but his neglect had also been supplied by Mary. This woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil. Simon had neglected the customary Middle Eastern kindness of placing perfume on the guest. But this neglect, too, had been supplied by Mary. This woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Jesus was teaching the same truth to Simon that he taught through the prophet Hosea and twice gave to the Pharisees in Matthew. If you had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Yes, her sins were many, but they were forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Jesus was performing a healing more important, more difficult, more delicate than the healing of leprosy. Point number three, the healing of the body is only one part of the treatment. The medical missionary cares for the soul as well. This is the work of the medical missionary. It was the healing of the body that opened the home for Jesus to come into Simon's home. That was the entering wedge. But it was in the home that Jesus could address Simon's real problem. The health was not the end. It was the beginning of Jesus' work. 
for man. CPR, complete patient restoration. Simon now had healing for his soul. In that quiet moment with Jesus, he had the same discovery that Elijah had while looking for the God of judgment and the fire, the earthquake, the wind. But Elijah was transformed by that still, small voice. And that still, small voice changed the proud Pharisee. In those few simple but profound words of Jesus, he had the same humbling, uh, Simon had the same humbling experience that Isaiah had when those coals of fire touched his lips. In the first few chapters of Isaiah, Jesus, uh, Isaiah was describing woes and calling on woes of others. But under the influence of the divine teacher, Isaiah said, woe is me, for I am undone. We live in a very secluded area in the foothills of Fort Mountain, miles from the nearest city. Our house is nine-tenths of a mile up a steep gravel winding road. During the summer, you can't see our five neighbors' houses, but there is a sixth house that sits by the road that you can't help but see as you're driving up to our place. It sits, it has sat as an eyesore, a dump. This house decreases the value of all our homes. It was empty for a time a year ago. Back door had a broken window. The roof leaked and sections were swayed. Ceiling was falling in. I called up the zoning board and had and asked that it be condemned. But the zoning board refused to condemn it. One of our neighbors is an, an attorney. And so he went down to the zoning board and at last they came out to look at it a zoning commission member came out, surveyed the house, but would not condemn it. We actively sought to discourage anyone that looked at it from buying it, hoping it would just fall apart and then we could get it condemned. But the house we saw with no potential was viewed differently by another who saw it as a bargain and purchased it. We knew it was purchased because profound changes began almost immediately. The roof was repaired, the house was painted, junk was hauled off. The purchaser saw a lovely little house to live in for the rest of his life. My approach was to condemn and tear down. Christ's approach was to transform and build up. And that's what I want him to do in my soul. And I desire to see through his eyes every patient that comes through my door. I love the following quotation. It says, volume 7, 225, the condition in blank. I was listening to the remnant publishing Spirit of Prophecy. I, I want to emphasize this. It'll bless you if it, if it blesses you like it's blessed me. I was exercising. And this just stuck out to me. 
The condition in blank is no more disheartening than was the condition of the world when Christ left heaven to come to it. Say, people were saying we shouldn't go to this area in missions. It's too hard, too discouraging. He saw humanity sunken in wretchedness and sinfulness. He knew that men and women were depraved and degraded and that they cherished the most loathsome vices. They cherished them. Angels marveled that Christ should undertake what seemed to them a hopeless task. Angelic love, as good as it is, is not enough to save man. They thought it was hopeless. They marveled that God could tolerate a race so sinful. They could see no room for love. Christ came to this earth with a message of mercy and forgiveness. The Savior has a boundless love for every human being. In each, he sees infinite potential. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It goes on, Christ came to this earth with a message of mercy and forgiveness. The Savior has a boundless love for every human being. In each one, he sees capacity for improvement. With divine energy and hope, he greets those for whom he has given his life. In his strength, they can live a life rich in good works, filled with the power of the Spirit. Simon began to sense that he had little love for the Lord Jesus Christ while Jesus Christ had a great deal of love for him. The goodness of God is to bring us to repentance. And this love of Jesus, this goodness of God, brought Simon repentance. Medical missionary work is to reveal the goodness of God and bring others to repentance. Until we understand this, we can never be, ladies and gentlemen, medical evangelists. Jesus changed Simon from an unrighteous judge to a righteous judge. He cleansed Simon the Pharisee just as he had cleansed Simon the leper. He is seeking to do the same for every medical evangelist. Have you ever been, been in your life Simon the leper? Have you cried out for mercy and been healed from some dreadful condition? Maybe it was spiritual, maybe it was physical. Have you then ever been Simon the Pharisee, judging others? Many have dealt with the erring as with traitors when they ought to have been dealt with in the mercy and compassion of Christ. Simon had cried out for mercy and received it, but he wasn't willing to grant the mercy he had cried out for and received to others who needed it as well. Volume 12, Manuscript Releases 143, God has revealed his character toward fallen man by giving him a savior, Jesus Christ. He covenanted not to stir up his wrath against the perversity of his children, not to censor them in his hot displeasure until every advantage had been given them through all their period of probation. This, you see, is not the time of God's wrath. 
Are you frustrated because the judgments don't fall on those who disbelieve? Oh, folk, don't be frustrated. It's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. The time is coming by and by, but today the offer of pardon is yet available. It must be given to every person on the face of the earth. That is the work of the medical evangelist. We present to all Christ's offering of the healing of the body. He can and will resurrect the dead. We can absolutely promise God's healing power, even if they die. But we present to all the offer of the healing of the soul. It goes on, and even when they shall refuse his warnings, his messages of invitation, the presentation of his righteousness, when they continue to sin in the face of light and evidence, still he will not break forth upon them in his great anger. Should we? He leaves all judgment to his son, whom he gave as a sin offering for the world. His physical blessings, his health blessings, his various blessings are designed to lead you and me to the position it led first Mary, the sinner, and Simon, the sinner of a different sort. I want him to bring me to that point, don't you? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. It is in comprehending the greatness of our sin and the greatness of God's forgiveness, the greatness of the grand offer of pardon that we love. God loves us with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, with all his strength. And if I love him, no sacrifice will be too great. No offering will be too costly. No price too high to give to God. He has given everything to me. In the same way God loves me, I want to love him. I want him to have all of me and all I possess. Is that your desire? Yes. I love this song. I grew up hearing the Barron Brothers sing it on our old uh, LP records. Henry and Dick. Love divine, oh sing the wondrous story. Far and near the glorious news proclaim. How for all God's only son was given, bringing life to all who trust in him today. His love is wonderful to me. His love is wonderful to me. For Jesus loved me so, he did to Calvary go. His love is wonderful to me. Love divine, the balm for every heartache. Love divine, the refuge of my soul. Take my life, possess my inmost nature. Over all my being have control. Love divine was manifest in Jesus. As he walked and talked by Galilee, he who knew my sin became my savior. On the cross, he paid it all 
for me. Is his love wonderful? Are your sins $2 million forgiven or just 20 cents forgiven? Are you $5 million grateful or just 25 cents grateful? There may be a struggling child of God in the audience here tonight. We have no idea of the anxieties, the heartache, the problems. But Jesus is speaking to you. Last Saturday night, I was speaking on the presence of God to a group. I had no idea that in the audience was a 16-year-old fellow who'd really never been in church much once or twice, his Baptist background, and just sort of visiting. And uh, his parents were drug addicts. He was a drug addict. He told me after uh, the, the message, he says, you know, if there was cocaine right here, I'd just take it. He says, I can't resist this. But he says, I want to be in the presence of God. That may be your experience. But Jesus will never turn on you if you turn to him. You may have fallen again and again with some sin. But God calls you tonight from his love. I wonder if we couldn't just sing. Those who would like to say and respond to Jesus, just stand and sing with me. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www.amensda.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.